Almost all of us working in acute care settings have played a part in patient safety. We see it every day from interventions to reduce hospital-acquired infections to ensuring safe delivery of medications. What is interesting, despite such great emphasis and attention on patient safety, there are still plenty of mistakes that occur daily. In the article, Culture of Safety, it was reported that for every 100 admissions, there are 40 to 50 incidences of patient harm. It gets more interesting with 98,000 reported hospital-acquired deaths annually. But what really blew my mind was that each year, there is a reported 400,000 hospital-acquired injuries, or as stated in the article, preventable harm. We have to really review our position as nurse practitioners and how we can impact safety. The new terms we are exposed to today are culture of safety and just culture. A culture of safety should best be described as an environment that promotes trust and it empowers all staff members to report issues that could place a patient at risk. Developing and encouraging this milieu is important. Just culture is looking at the human error and collectively understanding what is blameworthy or not. For example, I remember years ago, all lab, lab labels were printed on a central printer on the nursing unit and then distributed to nurses at the bedside. We were getting multiple reports of mislabeled specimens. Were these intentional omissions? Not always. Sometimes one label was not distributed properly. After a long review, the hospital worked to determine that there was a systems problem and it provided, it in turn came up with a solution to provide printers at each nursing um, workstation. Um, this way they could print their own labels right at the patient bedside. This dramatically reduced the number of mislabeled errors to almost zero. In a just culture, you would not give a corrective action to these nurses, but rather look to see if this is a system issue to try to resolve the problem. On the flip side, if you have someone that is blatantly omitting to do things that promote patient safety. For example, if someone refuses to do a timeout in the operating room, this would require, and this is something that we know reduces patient harm, then we would need to provide an immediate corrective action for that behavior. The airline industry has set the standard on high reliability organizations. If they had the same patient harm rate of 400,000 customers per year, this would be equivalent to two 747 airplane crashes per day for a full year. We have some work to do. Another term that you might see a lot when we look at patient safety is a root cause analysis. This is a systems review of how the error occurred. It usually involves members of the risk management team, administration, and parties involved in the error. It is mandated to be done for all errors that reach a patient but often we see this a lot of times when there is a near miss to make sure that we don't reach a patient with these types of errors. The purpose is not to place blame, but to look at all elements involved in the error to identify if there's a systems issue or if there's a real issue that needs to be resolved first. QUISIN, which is Quality Safety Education for Nursing, is a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation project that provides nursing with the tools to deliver high quality, safe and effective patient-centered care. Its initial phase began with pre-licensure nursing and offered identification of knowledge, skills and attitudes. It has now extended into the graduate level nursing education. Some of you will or may have a DMP project that identifies one of these areas, such as quality improvement, patient safety, teamwork, 
patient-centered care, evidence-based practice, or informatics. Please take a close look at the quiz and competencies that I've provided and make sure you review the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for the graduate nurse. Now let's take a look at the role of the acute care nurse practitioner. Certification was established by the, P the Pediatric Nursing Certification Board, also known as the PNCB, in 2005. We now have over 2,500 certified acute care pediatric nurse practitioners nationally, and just around 150 certified in the state of Florida. We only make up about 0.6% of all nurse practitioners in the United States. Prior to 2005, the role was filled with nurse practitioners from, with the primary care or family practice certifications. So the role has been around for some time with the wide variety of roles of the nurse practitioner. In some centers, a nurse practitioner practices to the full extent of their licensure with full autonomy to provide management, education, and to provide advanced procedures to patients. Other centers, the nurse practitioner is limited in what they can do and provide mostly documentation and order entry or in some instances are used mainly as a case manager for specialty services. In some states, the nurse practitioner in the acute care setting can provide direct billing. In other states, the billing is done on the physician in order to capitalize on the highest amount of reimbursement. Some of this wide variety of the role was due to the lack of certification initially, and in my opinion, physician teams and organizations are still not sure how to best utilize the acute care nurse practitioner. The National Organization of Nurse Practitioner Faculties, or NOF, developed a statement for the consensus model <clears throat> for APRN regulation, which states that nurse practitioners should practice in the specialty in which they were trained. We are now seeing a shift in some organizations in which how best we can utilize the nurse practitioner and the skills that they provide at the bedside. We will continue to see changes as legislation in some states allow nurse practitioners to work independently, not requiring physician oversight. In fact, Florida has a bill in Tallahassee seeking just that. The PNCB also published and established the job task analysis for the pediatric acute care nurse practitioner, in which they meet with experts in the field from all over the country and discuss how practice is evolving. This analysis is then used to shape the preparation for certification to ensure that current certification meets the job nurse practitioners are doing nationally. Please review the most recent published article, and there will be a new one coming out soon. Once it's available, I will share it with you. Aspect of the role of the acute care nurse practitioner is understanding and providing research within the practice. I have put together this slide here on research, which offers you the pyramid for quality research. As you work in the acute care setting, evidence-based practice will be your base foundation for management. As research advances, evidence-based guidelines and management will change as well. We will want to find quality research for our evidence-based practice. I am certain you will see this again on a test. And I'll say this again. I am certain you will see this again on a test. Please review the hierarchy of research and be familiar with it. When looking for guidelines of therapy for practice, make sure you do your homework. There are many websites you can go to to find the most current guidelines, such as guidelines.gov, or going directly to specialty websites, such as the American Academy of Pediatrics. When we look at professional practice, it does require understanding of definitions and the process of how to get licensed and how to maintain it. There is only one certification body, which is the PNCB. Please go to their website and be familiar with the process. In Florida, in order to become a licensed nurse practitioner, you need to have your certification. PNCB, PNCB details on how to become eligible for certification. 
Once you've passed your certification exam, they notify your State Board of Nursing. You are still responsible to meet the criteria for licensure and to apply for that licensure and go through that process. Please go to the Florida Board of Nursing. Please go to the Florida Board of Nursing's website to get more details on that process. Once you are certified and licensed, you can now go get a job. Once you are hired, your employer will work on getting your credentials. The process of credentialing is where the hospital gathers all your credentials, licensure, education, and additional information so that you can apply for billing through various insurance companies. Your credentialing packet will go through an administration, administration process within your employer to ensure you meet the appropriate credentials and you are more thoroughly vetted before you begin work. Credentialing must be completed before you see any patients. This process in many places can take two to three months. I have seen it completed sooner, but that is definitely not the norm. Often once you are offered a job, they will send you that credentialing packet and I advise you to please fill it out as soon as you get it. Privileging, on the other hand, is a separate process where you are granted privileges within your job function. For example, in the critical care area, you must have privileges to provide procedures such as intubation, sent pla uh, placing central lines, chest tubes, arterial lines, or providing moderate sedation. Privileging process looks at your procedural skills and the education on how you got those skills and your competency maintaining those skills over the years of your practice. Word of caution, credentialing does not mean privileging or vice versa. Make sure you understand both. You will see this again on a test throughout your career. Also keep, you will see this again on a test and, and as well throughout your career. Also keep in mind, you want in writing all the procedures you have privileges for within your organization. On another note, if your organization has multiple hospitals that they own and operate through, you may need credentials and privileges for each facility if you work in those facilities. So for example, if you work for UF Health at Shands and are credentialed at Shands, you don't automatically have credentials and privileges to work at UF Health in Jacksonville. Keep in mind that all the members that you work with go through completely different certification and licensure processes. Um, I've listed here the, a few of the many different team members that you will see. Some have certifications, some do not. Some have licensures, some do not. Um, so keep in mind that everything is different and that we need to follow our process as nurse practitioners to make sure that we maintain our certification and licensing. In addition to your professional practice, staying in the know on regulations is very important. Maintaining competency for certification and licensure is different. You must meet annual PNCB competency to maintain certification. If you do not, you could have your certification suspended, which could affect your licensure. Please review the PNCB website on certification and recertification. Also review the process for licensing at the Florida Board of Nursing's website. We are experiencing some exciting times here in Florida. In 2017, we were granted prescriptive authority for controlled substances. There is now current legislature looking at providing nurse practitioners with independent practice no longer requiring a scope of practice agreement. Your voice as a practicing nurse practitioner is important. Okay, so this is the end of module one. Make sure to review your material and please do not hesitate to reach out to me for any questions. I will look forward to seeing you next week for module two.